What's up, movie lovers? Welcome back to another episode of I Want to Talk About Movies. First off, let me say thank you so much for sticking around and waiting so patiently for a new episode. For your patience, we want to reward you guys. We did some brainstorming here and we thought, how can we reward our loyal listeners for coming back and to continue to listen to us, continue to talk to us? How can we do that? We said, okay, how about we talk about a popular movie, a really good, really popular movie. And ultimately, we ended up deciding on nothing. We couldn't decide. We're big movie fans here. We ended up with a big pile of movie ideas to talk about. And unfortunately, we could not pick just one. Some harsh words were said. Some arguments broke out, all in good fun, of course. But ultimately, we could not decide on just one. And then... Something happened. Why not, instead of talk about one movie, talk about three? And I'm not talking about three separate movies. I'm talking about a trilogy. An extremely popular trilogy. A a trilogy that has stood the test of time. No pun intended, ladies and gentlemen. I am talking about my all-time favorite movie. Number one favorite movie for me, guys. Back to the Future, a movie about friendship, love, and of course, time travel. I myself have always been interested in movies about time travel. Uh, I think it's a very interesting topic. It has a lot of dangers to it. It can be exciting. It can be scary. It's always interesting to see where we could end up in the future, possibly. And it's always educational to see where we've been in the past. You know, and the thing about time travel is that it's such a versatile topic. It's such a it's such an abstract topic that you can really create your own your own ideas around it. You know, I mean, Avengers Endgame they had their own thought process on time travel. Uh, Back to the Future definitely has their own, and even Harry Potter, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban had talked about time travel. And they had their own very own ideas on it. But that's why I like it. I like time travel movies because it's so interesting to see where people are, see what people come up with. So in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about each movie, uh, Back to the Future Part 1, Part 2, and Part 3. I'm basically going to be giving you guys a plot summary of each movie, some fun facts, some interesting theories, uh, some good, good old thoughts, opinions, and ideas, and I am excited to do it. With all that said, guys, let's get into it. Where we're going, we don't need roads. As always, I'm your host, Bran, and I want to talk about movies. Let's go. So before I get into any of the movies, I want to talk about just a little bit of a brief history behind the movie. Uh, Robert Zumeckis and Bob Gale who wrote and directed this movie, these movies, uh, went to college together. And they just really, they really wanted to make a movie together. They really wanted to make a movie about time travel. And nobody wanted to, to make a movie about it. So much so, so much so that the original script was rejected 44 times before someone actually greenlit the movie. 44 times. That's crazy. That is just in saying that they actually tried multiple times so much so that um one of the executives at universal told them that they didn't even like the title 
Back to the Future. Instead, they actually wanted to call it Spaceman from Pluto, as if that was going to work. Um, another fun fact about it, about it is that the comic book that Mr. Peabody's uh, son is reading is called Spaceman from Pluto. So they still got it in the movie, but thank goodness they didn't use it as a title. Um, there have been a lot of uh, controversies with this movie as well. Um, Michael J. Fox was originally not supposed to be in the movie. He had a very busy schedule. At the time, Michael J. Fox was a very popular actor. He was very young. He was extremely popular. Everybody wanted him to be in a movie, but he was concentrating on the promises he had already made, which says a lot about Michael J. Fox. He's definitely someone who likes to likes to um, obey his commitments. You know, he was on a TV show and he wanted to be on there, you know, and his schedule was very hectic as it was, as it is. So, you know, so he had to say no. So what ended up happening was that they had another, another actor by the name of Eric Stoltz come in to play Marty. And, you know, everything was set. Like they had, they had the time machine. They had the story. Everything was green lit. Everything was good to go. They started filming and Eric Stoltz kind of ruined it for himself. I spoke about um, about character acting a few episodes ago. Probably one of the earlier episodes I spoke about people who are kind of just consumed by the person they're portraying. You know, they become that person. They won't even answer to their real name. They'll answer to their character's name. And Eric Stoltz is one of those actors. You know, he was actually pretty aggressive about it you know like he would he would yell at people like no don't call me eric my name is my name is marty don't call me eric like just get away from me and you know the bobs the bobs being uh bob gale and robert zumeckis um they didn't like it they did not like it they were already a few weeks into production and they they were just fed up with him so they were going to have a meeting they were going to have a meeting with him and they were going to say, Hey, um, you know, come, Hey, Eric, come and talk to me. I want, I want to talk to you about something really quick. And he's like, no, my name is not Eric. It's Marty. And Bob Gale was like, Hey, listen, you know what? It's not Marty anymore. You're fired. <laughs> essentially. I mean, it wasn't that aggressive. I'm sure it wasn't that aggressive, but essentially that's what happened. You know? So now they had to reshoot, a lot of scenes, but they, they had no Marty. They had no central main character. They had no one. They had no one. So they ended up calling Michael J. Fox again, just to really like push him, just really persuade him to take on this role. And at this point, he's like, you know what? My schedule is really busy, but I really like the movie. I, I like the idea. I'll do it. So what they did was they, they really had to, one, one, one of the things in Michael J. Fox's um, contract was that they had to really uh, play around his schedule. They had to play around Michael J. Fox's schedule because he was so busy. So what they would do is they would film at night for Back to the Future and or till the early morning. And then during the day, uh, Michael J. Fox would be on, on, his other t- on his TV show. And then go back to filming at night. So he was up for a few days at a time sometimes. He was he worked really hard for this movie. And lo and behold, it definitely paid off. 
Um, a fun fact for you guys. Uh, uh, Tom Wilson, the guy who plays Biff, um, this was like one of his first movies, if not his first movie. And, you know, dur- during that time when they had fired Eric, Eric Schultz, um, they, they, had, they came into a room with Christopher Lloyd and Tom Wilson and they said, hey, we have some news about the movie where we're stopping production for a little bit. And Tom Wilson got scared. Like, he was, like, shaking. He was like, oh, man, you know, this is, one, this is like, my first movie. You know, I, I messed up somehow. You know, like, Biff in the movie, he's a really a very aggressive character. But Tom Wilson, he's, he's a teddy bear. <laughs> he's, like, a big teddy bear. Super nice. Seems like a super nice guy. And he was so timid, so scared that he had done something wrong that he was like, you know what? I know it. I know I'm going to get fired. Today's my last day. I'm so bummed out. I did something wrong. And then he found out that it was it was Eric who was getting let go, not him. And then he was just extremely relieved about it. But <laughs> that's funny. And then lo and behold, you know, he became one of the most recognizable characters in cinema history. This movie is amazing. And there's so much more. There's so much more ups and downs to this movie that no one could have predicted. Like, you cannot make this stuff up. It's so good. I, I love this movie. I can talk forever about it, but let's get into each movie right now. Just a heads up, movie lovers. For those of you who have not yet ever seen Back to the Future, but do eventually plan on seeing it, If you don't want the movie spoiled for you right now, this is your warning. Up ahead, there are a lot of spoilers. I'm basically going to be telling you guys about each movie. So, enter at your own risk. So, Back to the Future Part 1 was released on July 3rd, 1985. Um, There were a number of fresh-faced young actors... In this movie, including Michael J. Fox's Marty, um, Leah Thompson as his mom, Lorraine, Crispin Glover as his dad, George, and Tom Wilson as Biff, um, the town bully. And it also starred Christopher Lloyd, who at the time was an established actor already. So the movie starts off in Doc's lab. Um, slash house. It's a very small place, but it is what it is. One thing that you can say about Doc's house is that it is filled with clocks. Wall-to-wall clocks. How this man sleeps, I do not know. Because all you would hear all night is tick, 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 tick. And one, one word to describe Doc would be eccentric. And that's probably why. He's probably not getting that much sleep. I'd be eccentric too. So Marty comes in looking for Doc and he can't find him. Doc's not there. Doc's been missing for a few days now and he's a little concerned. And, you know, he, he gets a call from Doc saying, hey, um, you know, I'm, at, I'm okay. I'm totally fine. Everything's fine. Einstein, my dog, is perfectly fine. We're good. I need you to meet me at the mall at 1 o'clock in the morning. And... Marty makes a face as if one o'clock in the morning is a little unacceptable, but without question, he says, yeah, sure. I'll meet you at the mall at one o'clock in the morning. No problem. I could, I can get used to being murdered. 
So at which point Marty learns that he's late for school. So he rushes to school and his girlfriend, Jennifer, stops him from going in. Mr. Strickland, the principal, is looking for him. And eventually Strickland finds him, berates him, basically calls him and his family just a bunch of slackers. That's his word. That's his catchphrase, slacker. And basically tells him he'll be nothing. He'll be nothing. He'll, he'll, his life will amount to nothing. I, I would imagine that there were a lot of suicides in 1985. Just saying. Last, you know, Educator of the year, probably a lot of suicides connected to him. Just saying. So, Marty is the kind of guy where he he wants to be a famous rock star when he gets older, but he doesn't want to take that step towards that goal because he's afraid of failing. Because if he fails, it's on him. We learn later on that his father is the, is the exact same way. So, before he goes home that day, um, a, a, a little old lady who, by the way, is still alive. The lady who plays the clock tower lady, she is still alive and she still does like Comic-Con visits and she's very popular there, which is crazy. It's awesome. But so she tells them that City Hall has a clock tower and 30 years ago, lightning struck the clock tower and the clock hasn't worked since then, which... Now, since it's been 30 years later, it is now a historical landmark, which is a little ridiculous. Like, if you realize the clock wasn't working, why not fix it? But either way, that's not neither here nor there. So we go home. We go to Marty, M Marty's home. And we learn. We meet his parents. We meet his family. Marty has two siblings, an older sister and an older brother, um, his brother being the eldest of the three. His mom and dad are losers <laughs> uh marty's dad is kind of a he's, he's a workhorse he's a workhorse he uh works at his job does the best that he can um but he's also working for biff biff is uh george's high school bully george is the name of marty's dad um and biff has somehow become george's supervisor and it's because George is doing his work for him. Same way as you would imagine a bully would, hey, do my homework. George is doing the exact same thing for Biff, but in the adult world. Um, the only thing that George has over Biff, and George does not realize it, is that he married Lorraine. Lorraine is Marty's mom. And when they were in high school, Biff had the hugest crush on Lorraine. But... Lorraine chose George. So that's the only thing that George has over Biff, but he does not realize it and probably doesn't care to realize it. Um, Lorraine is a massive alcoholic. She seemingly doesn't particularly care about her, her life, but she tells Marty the story of her parents meeting, which they, you know, at this point, Marty is about 15 or 16, maybe 17 years old at the oldest. And, They've heard at this point they've heard this story many, many times. But they know that they they had a dance called the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, and that's where they kissed for the first time. And when they kissed, she knew that she would be with him forever. Lo and behold, forever is here, and she is not having it. <laughs> so 1 a.m. comes and Marty heads out to the mall 
uh, Twin Pines Mall, which is actually, it's, it's not called Twin Pines Mall, but it is a real mall in California. So he goes there and meets, Mar- and meets Doc. Doc shows him a DeLorean, which at the time was a popular car with, a lo- with a, quite a few problems, honestly. But still, it was an awesome car, awesome time machine. I think that's the reason why it's so popular now is because it's a time machine. Even if it was the worst car in the world, people would still love it because of the fact that it was a time machine. So Doc tells Marty basically how the, how the time machine works. He tells him how to operate it. He tells him about the flux capacitor, which is the device that makes time travel possible. Without it, time travel will not be able to happen. He also told him that in order to activate the flux capacitor, the DeLorean has to be driving at 88 miles an hour. Now, the biggest thing, probably the biggest thing about this about this car is the fact that it doesn't just run on normal gasoline. It runs on plutonium, which at the time wasn't very easy to come across. But Doc found a way. What he did was he found some terrorists who wanted him to build a bomb for them. So instead what he did was he ripped off their plutonium to use for his own experiments. And of course, the terrorists found out and they end up shooting and killing Doc. Doc dies within maybe 15 minutes of the movie, maybe 20. And Marty tries to evade them. Marty has safely gotten into the DeLorean and he is driving off to safety. He ends up hitting 88 miles per hour and gets thrown back in time to 1955. Because that's when Doc said that he invented time travel. So he doesn't know what to do. He's stuck in 1985 and kind of at a loss, you know. But Marty has something. Marty gets to see something that not a lot of people do. He got to see his hometown in person 30 years before, before he was in high school. And it's completely different. Like when he's in when he's in 1985, there's a bunch of homeless everywhere. There's people getting arrested, pulled over, people bugging everybody. But in 1955, everyone is super nice. Kids are playing. It's very, very friendly. It seems very friendly. So he goes to a diner and ends up meeting his dad. His the guy who will eventually father Marty McFly, young George is at the at this little diner having some cereal and Biff comes in and Biff is a young man like he's he's looking at these guys as if this is the first time he's seen them because he's never seen them like this like he's never seen his father look so clean cut like the dad is a very clean cut guy but as a young man like he looks very strapping you know he's, he's, he looks like he looks like he he could be a good guy if he wasn't so shy and so like an introvert he would be a really like Really cool guy, really cool dude, but he's he's a little girl. Um, Biff does the exact same thing that he's doing as an adult, so he doesn't change that much. And Marty decides he he kind of knows what to do. He knows what to do. He has to find Doc. He feels that if he finds Doc, he'll be able to kind of get himself back to his time, back to the future. And so he goes to Doc's house, and it turns out in 1985, Doc's house 
was actually his garage. Doc is actually really, really rich. He has a lot of money. He has his family has been rich. He comes from very rich people. And what had happened was that he sold his property. He sold everything he has just to fund his experiments. Because his house is gorgeous. It's a beautiful, beautiful house. And beautiful, beautiful house. And he um he's at that point where he's about to build time where he's about to invent time travel. And Marty convinces him, hey, I'm a time traveler. I came here in a in a time machine that you created. So in this time, Marty has inevitably prevented his parents from meeting. So now Marty has to fix that. Marty has to somehow get George to man up and say, hey, Lorraine, I like you. Let's grow up and get married sometime. And it's very difficult. (laughs) It's extremely difficult because George is not a very persistent person. He's not a very, uh, he doesn't stand up for himself. He, he, he's very, he's very, very quick to back down and retreat. So Marty comes up with a plan. Marty says, Hey, cause Lorraine finds herself infatuated, not with George, but with Marty, which just screams all kinds of problems. <laughs> and he, is trying to like back her off with a stick and trying to get George to like man up, but he can't do that. So he tells him he has a plan. He's going to take him. He's going to take Lorraine to the enchantment under the sea dance. And they're going to be in the car and he's going to get frisky with her and nightmares will ensue after that for Marty. But you know, George is going to come in and be brave and be like, Hey, get your hands off of her and save the day. And hopefully that'll work. What ends up happening is that when they're in the car hanging out, when Marty and and Lorraine are in the car, instead of George coming up, Biff comes up. Biff and his friends take Marty and like throw him away. And Lorraine is in there by herself. Meanwhile, George comes out and he thinks like the plan is still a goal. Like he's, he's gung ho for this plan. Turns out that instead of Marty, he is greeted by Biff. And for the first time in his life, and this is my favorite part of this whole movie, George decides to stand up to Biff for the first time ever. He's never done that. No matter, even in the original timeline, he's never stood up to Biff. And now he's doing that. So much so that he ends up punching Biff in the face, knocks him out cold, knocks him out cold. Never done it before in his whole life. And he did it. And meanwhile, Doc has learned how to get Marty back to 1985. The thing is, though, the time machine takes a lot of energy to do that. It takes a lot of, uh, lot of, lot, lot of energy to do it. Um, 1.21 gigawatts and that is uh, enough enough voltage in a bolt of lightning, which they don't know because lightning is so erratic. But turns out because the clock tower hits, because the lightning hits the clock tower in 1955, they're able to do that. So they can actually plan where lightning is going to hit. 
So as long as they can get the get the DeLorean up to 88 miles an hour and have that lightning strike you at the right time, Marty will get back in time. So Marty decides that he also wants to help Doc. He feels he feels hurt that his friend is dead. He knows that when he goes back to 1985, Doc will be dead and it will hurt him. So he writes a letter to Doc saying, "Hey, you know, take precaution." You know, do something, just prepare yourself for this time. Do not get shot. I want you to live. And it's a very heartfelt, it's very heartfelt. You know, he, 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 Marty has big feelings for Doc. And so, you know, he, Doc feels that he shouldn't know anything about his future. He feels that it will endanger him the same as Marty had endangered himself by intervening in his parents' life. Um, if Marty's parents never met, then Marty would have never been born. So he almost, he was almost, ne- he almost never existed. So of course, Doc wants to be cautious of that as well. And he ends up um, tearing up this letter that Marty, that Marty wrote to him. So, you know, the time has come where Marty has to leave. It's either you leave now or you stay here forever. So, Marty just just makes it. He just gets the lightning bolt. A lot of stuff happens. Um, at one point, Doc is actually hanging from the clock tower trying to hook up a piece because it fell apart. Fun fact for you guys, in the beginning of the movie, when you see all the clocks in, in, Doc's, in Doc's house, one of them is actually a clock of him dangling from it. Fun fact there. But Marty makes it and makes it back to 1985. Before he leaves, though, he changes the time. He doesn't say he, the time was set to where he'd go back to, he'd come back to the time where he just left. So he'd be gone for like two seconds. But he ended up giving himself about a 15, 20 minute head start. So that way he can beat the Libyans there and, and save Doc. And he does that. He, he does that. He, he goes back in time about 15, 20 minutes later, I mean, before. And tries to save Doc, but unfortunately the DeLorean dies, which is like the third or fourth time it's happened throughout the movie. And he misses it. He ends up going back to see Doc get shot again. One of his closest friends, he saw his one of his closest friends get shot twice. And while he's there, he's he's you know, he's crying right next to Doc, and then Doc wakes up. Turns out Doc had a bulletproof vest under his suit. And it's because he found the pieces of the letter that he tore up and and taped them back together and read what Marty said. And he's alive. Doc is back. So Doc takes Marty home and, you know, he tells him, I'm going to go to the future. So I'll be, I'll I'll see you in the future. (laughs) And then Doc leaves. The next day, Marty wakes up and his house is brand new. His house is nice, super nice furniture. You know, his his brother and sister are successful. Um, the brother was originally, he worked at like a McDonald's and probably as a cashier. The sister, it was not really said, but they look very professional now. The brother works in an office and he wears a suit. Very, very classy looking guy. And then his parents walk in. His mother is like super thin and she's really healthy. And the dad is like really like really strapping. 
And then Biff walks in. Biff is a loser. And all he, and he just he details cars. I don't know why. I, I would never have Biff work around my family. I would if I if I was if I if I felt confident enough to like stand up to my high school bully, I would not want him around in my life. Even if we became friends, I'd be like, you know what? We're good. Goodbye. Nice seeing you. Peace out. And so, you know, Marty's life is is at that point where he where he wants it to be. Jennifer comes back and he's happy to see her because he hadn't seen her for so long. Even though to her it was just the, the day before. And they're about to kiss and then suddenly Doc comes back. Doc comes back. Big epic entry entry by Doc. And he says he needs fuel. He needs trash to put in the in the DeLorean that doesn't need plutonium anymore. It just needs garbage which is great. And he tells Marty that he has to come to the future with him. He has to come to the future because something wrong, something happened to his kids. Something is going on with his kids. So he needs the help. He needs Marty's help to save Marty's kids. And he ends up saying they're going to go to the future. Now, originally that's how the movie ends. Originally there wasn't going to be a second movie. They weren't planning on making a sequel, but the movie was so popular that it prompted a sing- a sequel a sequel not just one but two two different sequels like how how incredible was that i've seen this movie in theaters multiple times and it is awesome i've seen it multiple times on tv i've watched it multiple times on streaming services i've watched it multiple times on the dvds that i have i have a dvd i have a blu-ray of it if they ever have a 4k i'm definitely buying it but that movie set it off it was so popular and so good that it warranted not one but two sequels. So awesome. So that, guys, in probably the biggest nutshell is Back to the Future Part 1. Um, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. A long, long description of the movie. Um, but... Get your blackboards because we are going to be talking about part two now. Now, Back to the Future part two brings back almost all of the cast, all of the cast from the first movie. Um, Primarily, the only ones who don't return is uh, Crispin Glover, who played George, and Marty's girlfriend, Jennifer. So they don't return. I'm not sure why Jennifer didn't return. I I remembered. I, I did hear it once. I just don't remember what it was. But uh, Crispin Glover had a lot of negative things to say, uh, primarily about money. So there, there was just a lot of issues why, a, a lot of issues that he had with the first movie and the reason why he did not return for the second. But the second movie begins where the first movie ended. You know, Doc comes back to 1985, recruits Marty and Jennifer to come back to the future with him to save their kids. And while he's doing that, he makes the DeLorean fly because in the future we have flying cars, right? And while he's doing that, um, Biff happens to walk outside and notices a flying DeLorean, which is super odd because DeLoreans don't fly in 1985. I mean, how else would you react to a flying car, you know? 
But so he ends up noticing that happen. And then we come to 19 to 2015. So we are now in the future. You know, there's flying cars everywhere. A lot of stuff is going on. Marty is excited to see the future. Jennifer is way more excited to see the future. And Doc decides to tranquilize Jennifer. The reason why he brought her was because of the fact that she saw the time machine. She didn't, she's not essential to the plan. But because she was there, he decided to invite her along as well. Like his need for help was so great that it just involved Jennifer when really it did not need to involve her at all. So Doc, we, we get a glimpse of the future, very small glimpse at first. Um, Doc kind of explains what's going on saying, hey, you know, your son is going to go to jail. And if your son goes to jail, your daughter will try to escape, help him escape from jail. And then she will also go to jail as well. So this one event destroys Marty's whole family, which really speaks volumes to Marty and Doc's relationship. And I will get to that later. But the fact that he would, the fact that Doc would go back to 1985 and bring him back, bring Marty back to the future to save his family says a lot right there about their friendship. But I'll, again, I'll touch on that more later. So the plan is that Marty is supposed to impersonate his son, his future son, who looks exactly like him, also played by Michael J. Fox. And <laughs> he is going to tell, tell this guy named Griff no. Like no to whatever question that he's going to ask. Doc is very vague about this plan. Like we know what's going to happen. We know that Marty Jr. is going to go to jail, but we don't know the, the semantics about it, you know? So he goes to this cafe, same cafe, same, same formula as the first movie, but it's in the future. And then we learn that there's a game called wild gunman that Marty is actually really, really good at. And these two little kids, fun fact for you, one of those little kids is actually Elijah Wood. Yes, Frodo Baggins from The Lord of the Rings is in Back to the Future. He loves being in trilogies, apparently. So he <laughs> so he shows his skills at, at this game, and these kids are just like super unimpressed, you know. And you know. He, he, we actually get a bigger glimpse of the future while, while he's walking through town. You know, we see Jaws has like 19 sequels. Um, it's in 3D and cars are flying. Every, everything is just awesome. They have robots that walk your dog. All kinds of cool stuff going on there. So he meets Griff, who turns out to be Biff's grandson. Also, again, played by Tom Wilson. And he says no. He stands up for himself, which his son never did. And inevitably, he ends up changing the future. So instead of, instead of Marty Jr. going to, going to prison, uh, Griff ends up going to prison. So the future is saved. Doc's plan has, has his, his plan works. His plan worked. He, he is done. He's going to take Marty and Jennifer back 
1985. Unfortunately, Jennifer is found by the police and she's unconscious. And so the police ID who she is and they decide to take her to her home, her future home, which is going to be a problem because if apparently, according to Doc, if she meets her future self, the world could implode. So before they leave, Marty grabs a magazine. He grabs a sports almanac that says all of the 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 winning numbers, every team that's won any sporting event for the past 30 years. So what Marty wants to do is he wants to buy that book and place some bets so that when he gets older, he'll win millions and millions and millions, millions of dollars. He'll be super rich. That is his intention. Doc, however, is appalled by that. He hates that idea. He, he decides to throw away the almanac. And by mistake, he ends up placing it down. So who finds it but an older grandpa like Biff? Biff finds it. He hears the plan. He recognizes the flying DeLorean. And he decides to follow them. He follows them and somehow learns that it's a time machine. Somehow. We don't know how. We don't know how he knew it. But somehow he figured it out. (laughs) So Marty and Doc leave the time machine. Doc goes to save Jennifer while Marty gets distracted. And Biff goes back in time. And does something. He comes back and dies. He comes back and basically fades away. You don't. There's a there is a deleted scene where he just kind of falls and fades away. Um, but in the in the uh, theatrical movie, he um, just kind of walks away and seems like he's having a heart attack. So Doc saves Jennifer, and they. He takes them back to 1985, and Doc decides, you know what? We've had we've had a lot of adventures. I'm good. I, I created time machine. I now realize that time travel is dangerous. So he wants to destroy the time machine. So they drop off Jennifer at her house, and they kind of realize like there's some weird stuff going on. Like they kind of feel like, hey, this is kind of weird. Turns out Marty's house is not his house anymore. It's somebody else's. Doc's house was trashed, and now apparently Biff owns the world. <laughs> he had like the clock tower is no longer a clock tower, it's now a casino. Um, Biff's pleasure palace, and you know, like stuff like this is bad, you know, it's gotten really, really, really bad, all the way to the point where Marty's mom is now with Biff, Lorraine ended up marrying George but George mysteriously died and she ended up getting married to Biff and Biff is very abusive to her he's very he's very cruel to her he threatens her kids all this stuff and she can't leave him because of the money like he has so much money that that she just can't leave him and so Marty kind of figures out what's going on. So what happened was Biff, old Biff, went back in time, gave young Biff the sports almanac. And with that sports almanac, he 
gambled and he won. He consistently won, made more money, made millions of dollars, made million, probably at this point, billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. And, you know, he just couldn't lose. <laughs> he couldn't lose. And so, so he was just super rich and that made an alternate timeline. Like the schools are shut down. Every, everything is just terrible. So now Biff, uh, not Marty and Doc have to kind of figure out where, when, and how old Biff got young Biff the Almanac. So same thing. He has to go back to 1955. Biff, middle-aged Biff, tells them, tells Marty, hey, this guy who said that he's my distant relative um, gave me this book, and I've been using it ever since then. And turns out it was a couple of days before the, it was about a day before the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. So they're going back to where they were in the first movie. So Marty, so Marty now has to avoid not only himself, but also his parents as well. Um, same thing with Jennifer, where Jennifer had to avoid her future self. Marty has to avoid his past self. And same thing with Doc as well. So now there's two Docs and two Martys in 1955. And, you know, they're flying around trying to figure out how to get this almanac. They eventually do get the almanac and Marty destroys it. Marty finds a bucket, throws the almanac in a bucket, lights it on fire. And everything changes. We learn of the ripple effect in this movie. Um... Marty took a box of matches that said Biff's P Pleasure Palace on it. The second he burnt the almanac, he had changed the future. So instead of Biff's Pleasure Palace, it said um, Biff's auto detailing. Like it faded away and then that faded back. Doc, who in his alternate 1985, he was committed. So he had a newspaper. It said Dr. Emmett Brown um committed and then when it changed after marty burned the almanac it changed to say dr emmett brown commended so everything was back to, essentially back to normal doc is flying in the air him and the, De the delorean are flying in the air and they're suddenly struck by lightning struck by lightning which as we know from the first movie Will, will activate the flux capacitor. Doc is gone. Doc is gone, and Ma Marty has no idea where he is. Marty is now stranded in 1955. It starts to rain, and at that precise moment, someone drives up from West Western Union. Western Union drives up and delivers a letter to Marty that had been in their, in their possession for... A very long time, about 70 years. They have a letter that was addressed to Marty 70 years before Marty was there. Before Marty was alive, this letter comes to him. And turns out Doc is still alive, but he's in a different time. He's in 19, he's in 1885. And you know, there's only one person who can save him, and that's 1955 doc so doc 
is celebrating. 1955 Doc is celebrating because Marty just left. Marty went back to 1985 and he felt that it was a success. He's dancing around. He's having a good time. And then all of a sudden, Marty comes back to him. And he goes, hey, I'm back. I'm back from the future. Doc passes out. (laughs) He passes out. And a big sign in the sky says, to be concluded. So that gave us another another glimpse that there was going to be a third installment of these movies. And now Marty's main goal is to get back to his time. Like he's okay with Doc being in, in 1885. And Doc knows that now he's stranded. So they have to get the time machine to him to get back to 19, 1985. Super interesting stuff, guys. Very intense very scary stuff. If it were me, I'd be just crying in the street. I don't know what to do. But yeah, luckily Doc was there and his calculations are always correct. So awesome for him. If you've made it this far, bless you. Bless you for continuing to listen, guys. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, all of us here do. Uh, Next up, we will be talking about Back to the Future Part 3, the third and final installment of the Back to the Future trilogy. Now, same thing with the second one. The uh, third movie begins where the second one ended. Uh, Marty has reunited with 1955 Doc, and they are trying to work on a way to get him back to 1985. Now... In the letter that Doc wrote to Marty, it was a very touching letter about their friendship, but it was also instructions on how to get back to 1985. Um, Apparently, while Doc was in 1885, he hid the DeLorean in a cave, someplace that would be undisturbed until Marty can get there in 1955. So Marty and... 1955 Doc go to this cave. They find the DeLorean. And really all they need is gas. Uh, They need all the liquids refilled. uh, New tires. Um, Aside from that, everything else works perfectly fine. The flux capacitor still works fine. Um, It still drives very well. Um, It's just that it will never fly ever again. Which isn't that big a problem anymore. At this point, it's not. So they bring it out. They bring out the the DeLorean from this cave. And the cave is adjacent to a little graveyard. And while they're setting everything up, while they're putting everything away, they they come across um, Doc's tombstone. Here lies Dr. Emmett Brown. And as it turns out, Doc had died. No shock there. But it was the way that he died. I mean, at this point, you know, from 1885 to 1955, no matter how old you are in 1885, more than likely you will be dead. Chances are you will be dead. Doc was a middle-aged man, probably even more so now, but he definitely would have been dead long before 1955. But... They were shocked to see as at how he died. Turns out he was actually shot in the back 
over the matter of $80. So Marty, and again, shows a true testament to how good they are as friends. Marty decides to go back in time yet again to save Doc. And, you know, he decides to go back in time and reunites with Doc yet again. And Doc agrees with him. You know, he feels that it is time to, you know, get back to his present time being 1985 and, you know, continue his life after that. So while in 1885, Marty and Doc, well, in 1955, Marty Marty reads on Doc's tombstone that he was survived by his beloved Clara, which he never had a Clara before. Like he didn't know who Clara was. It was a mystery as to who this person is or was. And turns out that she is someone that he's supposed to meet up with. He's supposed to meet her and like kind of introduce her to the to the um, to the town. And he ends up not doing that. Which is a little fun fact for you, though. There's a scene where Doc and Marty are trying to like make a plan. And they're at the train station trying to make this plan. Because there's a map there. But if you look in the background, you can actually see Clara Clayton in the background waiting to be picked up. But she never was picked up. And then, and then she ended up um, trying to find her way to her new place. Uh, Clara is a teacher. And she was trying to find her, her way to her new place. And Doc and Marty found her because her horse had gotten scared by a snake. <clears throat> and because of that, her, her wagon had gone out of control. And and um, Doc had saved her from careening over this ravine. Which is later revealed that in 1985... That ravine is called Clayton Ravine because back in the day, a teacher fell off of it, fell out, fell into the ravine and died. And the reason why Marty knew that is because all the students in his school has teachers that they wish would fall into the ravine as well. I mean, if you ever went to high school and had a terrible teacher, I'm sure you have had that feeling before. So as it turns out, Doc has changed the course of history by saving Clara because Clara was meant to fall into that ravine and die and have that ravine named after her. Now, to Marty, it's not that big a deal because of the fact that it's who cares, you know, like she she lived. She lived and that's a good thing. Worst case scenario, they don't name the ravine after her big deal. But to Doc, it is a big deal because he has now changed the course of history which he has always been against. He never wanted to change the course of history. Inevitably, he does end up falling in love with her. They do fall head over heels with each other at first sight, and he tries to kind of avoid it, but inevitably he can't. Like, the more he sees her, the more he knows, hey, this girl is awesome. I want to be with her. (laughs) So, they have a plan that they're going to they, they can't get the DeLorean up to 88 miles an hour. 
They can't. So it's unfortunate, but they're trying to figure out different ways of how to get the DeLorean up to that speed so that way they can get back home. So they can activate the flux capacitor and inevitably get back home. <clears throat> so they try a bunch of different things. They actually tie like a bunch of horses to it they try, and they try to have like the horses run as fast as possible, but they couldn't get it that fast. Um, and then there's, they figure out the train. You know, the train is going to be their best bet. If they get the fire hot enough, the train will will go fast enough and push the DeLorean up to 88 miles an hour. But the, um, <clears throat> the next train doesn't come for the next few days. So they're kind of stranded in 1885. But it's no big deal because the, <clears throat> the train will be there on time and they'll be ready to go. They'll be good to go on time before Doc dies. We are introduced to a few new characters in this movie. One of them is uh, Seamus McFly. Again, <laughs> played by Michael J. Fox, who is an ancestor of, of Marty. And his Seamus's son is the first McFly to be born in America. Very interesting stuff there. Um we are also introduced to one of Biff's ancestors, uh, Mad Dog Tannen, who is a uh, Old West gunslinger. Uh, we do we do hear a little bit about him in Back to the Future Part Two, but primarily he is the main villain in the third movie. And so, um, Mad Dog Tannen is actually the person who kills Doc. So they have to make sure that you know, Doc survives because that's the main focus of of the plot is that Doc survive. But Marty decides to make an enemy of Mad Dog, and instead of instead of uh, Doc being the target, Marty then becomes the target. So now it's about Marty surviving, <clears throat> getting back to 1985. So. He goes by the name of Clint Eastwood just because that's what he that's the only western he knows. <laughs> so he does that and then Doc decides to come clean with Clara. He tells Clara, "Hey, I'm from the future." She takes it as him being facetious to her, you know, like just not taking her feelings seriously. And so she denies him. She hurt breaks her heart, but she denies him. And also breaks his heart as well. On the day that Marty is supposedly going to die, the fight between him and Mad Dog, like in every Western, there has to be a standoff. And Marty decides that he doesn't want to fight. He's. We learned in the second movie that Marty cannot be called chicken. If he's called chicken, he will be very upset. He will do things extremely recklessly he will inevitably hurt himself in his future he did not become a rock star because he broke his hand um in an accident um but he got into a, he got into a car accident and then eventually broke his hand and then he couldn't play guitar anymore so it caused the rip that one event caused a ripple effect in his life that caused it to be negative so 
he gets over that fact. In the third movie, he kind of gets over it, where someone called him a chicken, and he was like, you know what? That's fine. I'd rather be alive and be a chicken than be dead. Period. <laughs> so, Marty actually fights Biff, or Mad Dog Tannen, and wins and they and they get back to the time machine they get to the, they hijack the the train and they leave clara finds out that yes um emmett is telling the truth like he's being serious like he's not trying to make fun of her or anything so she goes off to find him to confess her love for him and you know they like marty and doc are about to head back to the future they're in the DeLorean. The DeLorean is heading up to the speed they need it to be. It is almost at 88 miles. It's about maybe at 70. And Doc decides that he wants to go back with Clara and bring her with them. And so he does that. But a lot of stuff happens to where he's not able to come back to the DeLorean. So eventually, the DeLorean does get up to 88 miles an hour and then goes, goes into the future. Marty is safe in the future, whereas Doc and Clara are still in 1885. But Marty is back, and that's what matters. Like, if Doc can have anything, it would be that, that Marty be safe. So Marty goes up to... Marty, now back in 1985, he goes to see Jennifer, and he comes clean. He tells her about the time traveling. He tells her what happened. He tells her everything. And he brings her to the site because what happened is that when he came back to 1985, a massive train came and ran over the DeLorean, completely destroying it, completely and utterly destroying it. So Marty and, and Jessica, Jennifer, sorry, Marty and Jennifer go back to the crash to look at it. And it's very sad, you know, like he's looking at it and he's saying, you know, he'll never see Doc again. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, they, they hear the sound like a train is coming, but they don't see any train. And then suddenly with a big bang, just bang. And then Doc comes back. Turns out you really can't keep a good scientist down because he made another time machine out of a train. He made a train time machine. And then, you know, he introduces Clara again and turns out that he and Clara have kids we find out in this movie that that both Clara and and Doc have a love for the author Jules Verne. Um, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, Journey to the Center of the Earth. You know, they find out that that's one of their big connections to each other is that they both love Jules Verne so much so that they now have two sons who they name Jules and Verne, which is incredible. Although Vern is a little creepy. If you watch the movie, he does some creepy stuff there. Just watch him when he introduces them. Just don't even don't even listen to what Marty and Doc are saying. Just watch that kid. He does some creepy stuff. And so he gives Marty a gift, which is a picture of the clock. Before the clock tower got put in, they had the clock and they had the they had the town people come by and take pictures with it. And Marty and Doc took a picture next to it, and that's what Doc gave Marty. It was a very nice, very sentimental picture. And Marty asked him, like, hey, where are you going to go? Are you going to go back to the future? And he said, no, he's already been there. And next thing you know, not only did he make a time machine out of a train, 
but it can fly as well. It flies away, and you hear the toot from the train, and it just flies through. The next thing you see is the end. And that's how Back to the Future ends. A genius, genius movie. With part three, there they actually come into place with the uh, multiverse theory. Um, just because of part three, there are three separate timelines uh, within this movie. And that really revolves around Clara. Um, if you think about it, you have essentially three different timelines. You have the timeline where Clara goes to Hill Valley, doesn't have anyone pick her up. She goes, tries to find her place. Snakes spook her horse. Her her, her, her horses careen down a ravine and she dies. Therefore, renaming the, the ravine Clayton Ravine. Then you have the 1885 with Doc. Doc goes to 1885. He volunteers to pick up Clara from the train station. He picks her up. They fall in love. And they live happily ever after until Doc dies about a week or so later. Um, that would give the ravine uh, a Shonash Ravine. It keeps that name. But then you have the, uh, the third, the third uh, timeline with Marty and doc and they it's where you see clara at the station waiting for somebody doc has already volunteered but then changed his mind so she ends up leaving on her own and if doc and marty weren't there she would have fallen over the the ravine and they become clayton ravine but because they intervened in saving her life at that point and then eventually marty supposedly fell off the ravine as clint eastwood when he returns to 1985, that that ravine is now called Eastwood Ravine because they thought that he fought, had fallen off of it. Um, so there are definitely multiple uh, universes in these movies. I mean, even in the first one alone, you have the original timeline where Lorraine is an alcoholic and George is a little girl. And then you have the new timeline where George is actually very successful and Lorraine lives with him in his success and she's very happy and thin and takes good care of herself. So not only is time travel a topic here, but a very lesser known fact, a very lesser known thought is that the multiverse theory can also play a, play a part in these movies as well. Now, I'm the kind of person where I can always see or almost always see both sides of the argument. You know, I'm never just going to say, oh, you know, I'm right, you're wrong, that's it. I'm not going to not hear what you have to say. So with that said, you know, I love this movie. This is, like I said, it's my favorite movie of all time. I can watch it a hundred times and never get sick of it. But there are... You know, parts of these of this movie of these movies that I, you know, I disagree with or, you know, that are kind of odd. You know, you, you can definitely make something make fun of something 
and you know still like it you can still you can still find bad with it but still ultimately love the movie um one of the biggest issues is that people don't seem to like about it is because of the fact that marty has to kind of essentially go to second base with his mom definitely a huge red flag there probably the reason why they got rejected 44 times but hey the movie works okay granted it's not the world's greatest thing in the world it's not the world's greatest thing but it's movie works um one of the biggest questions i've always asked is mainly about the relationship between doc and marty okay like, it's never mentioned in the movies how Doc and Marty ever became friends. There are a lot of theories out there. That um, The main one is probably that um, Doc used to be Marty's teacher. Maybe. Um, but ultimately, it's never said for certain how they met. Judging by the way Marty is, it sounds like they would never have been friends. In the first movie, we are introduced to Marty as someone who doesn't really seem to care about school. Like, he didn't realize he was late for school. He arrived late and tried to hide from Mr. Strickland. And we see very little of him in school throughout the whole, throughout the movies. He just seems like somebody who goes to school because that's what he's told to do. And that's where, that's where his friends are, you know? Like, he seems like he just goes to school to hang out with his friends. And because of that, why would anybody like that want to be friends with somebody for whose school must have been a huge part of their life? Like, Doc is a scientist. School is his life, okay? So they are complete opposites, and yet somehow they are friends. Not only are they friends, but Marty would go out of his way to risk his own safety and his getting back to his own time and his own life to make sure that Doc lived, and we and then we see at the end of the second movie when Dar- when when Marty finds out that Doc is still alive part of it is because he's relieved because now he has a way back home i'm sure but i feel that his excitement is primarily because Doc is alive or at least he feels that Doc is alive somewhere else even more so in the third film he decides to go back in time yet again to save Doc i mean ultimately in the end Doc would have been di- would have been dead by 1955 anyway, but it was the way that he died that made Marty feel that he had to go back and save him. So although it's never blatantly said how they met, there is a lot of proof that shows that the relationship between Doc and Marty is very very strong. Like. I wouldn't go as far as to say that Doc is a father figure to him, although it do, although it could be, it could be said like that. But I think it's just, just who they are. You know, they're just good friends, and you know, I I would go as far as say brothers, maybe not father, maybe like a father figure, but I would say like they're brothers for each other. You know, I mean, they're definitely closer than Marty is to his own family. So, I mean, even though it's not explained, we we still see that their friendship is real.
When I was younger, my favorite of the three was uh, Back to the Future Part 2. Just because, like I said, I was always interested to see where we could be in the future. You know, I thought flying cars and technology was always so amazing that I was always very interested to see where it could take us. And Doc and Marty traveled to uh, 2015. And in 2015, we actually had quite a few similarities. I mean, we didn't have flying cars. Um, we didn't have 19 Jaws movies. But we did have... Um, I mean, we do have flat screen TVs. That was something that was in Back to the Future Part 2. Um, we do have multiple streaming platforms. Even in 2015, we had a lot of streaming platforms. We had YouTube, Netflix... Um, voodoo, etc. And um, although we didn't have 19 Jaws movies, we do have movies where we have tons of sequels for Harry Potter, Twilight, um, Hunger Games. You know, we have a lot of movies that are that are going way past the Marvel movies alone. You know, there's a lot of sequels going on. Uh, 3D at one point was a huge thing. It's not so much anymore. Um, for me, I'm not a big fan of 3D, but that's beside the point. Uh, what else? So my biggest gripe is hoverboards. I would love nothing more than to have a hoverboard. Although I feel like if I did, I would fall off of it and never use it again. But having a hoverboard would be so awesome. And for those of you who think those things with two wheels are called that are called hoverboards are actual hoverboards. Then there's something wrong. Those are not hoverboards. I would, I would accept swagways, but not hoverboards. Um, but yeah, like we have places that we can go to where we can order food and not actually interact with people. I mean, video, video games are done without our hands sometimes, you know, I mean, there, there's so much similarities. And, you know, I saw a meme where there was a picture of Griff and his friends. And they, you know, they just kind of outlandish. Like, honestly, if the 80s were in outer space, that's how they would dress. That's how they said we would dress in 2015. But there was a meme that said, hey, um, it's 2015. In a few hours, we're supposed to be dressing like this. And that was hilarious to me. But. Lo and behold, we don't dress like that. But still, you know, there's a lot of things to this movie that makes it great, Scott. Um, <laughs> a lot of good points to this movie. There are obviously bad points here and there, but ultimately, I believe this movie is great. All right. I would say for all three altogether, now, this rating is biased because I love this movie. It's my favorite movie. So obviously, you know, this is just my opinion. I'd say it's like a nine out of 10 for all three movies, just because the third one is good, but it's definitely not my favorite of the three, probably my least favorite of the three. But yeah, ultimately it's a, like a nine out of 10 and that can change from person to person. Some people may think it's less. Some people may think it's more. But I, I love this movie. If you're def if you're thinking of watching this movie, this is 
this is a good one. I would definitely recommend it. Um, if you're a big fan of time travel like I am, you're definitely going to love it. If you're a big fan of comedy, um, this is a very funny movie. Um, like I said, I've seen it uh, quite a few times in theaters. Um, the first time I ever watched it, I took my brother with me. And he had said that, because I, I bought my tickets maybe about two months in advance because I, I like to sit in, in a very particular place in the theater. And my brother was making fun of me. He said, you know, no one's going to be at this theater. No one's going to watch this movie. You you're, you picked your seats like so early, but you could have picked them up tonight and still have the exact same seats because no one's going to be there. Lo and behold, we get there. It is a full house. It is a full house. There is not a seat that is open. You know, every, uh, you know, this is this this movie has a huge fan base, huge fan base. It is one of the most popular movies in the world, and it's so popular that it's that people want to remake it. Now, for those of you who love any kind of movie, whether it be Back to the Future or anything made in that era, you know, the one thing you don't want it to do is be remade. Because it's going to suck. Or, well, the chances of it sucking is pretty high. You know, I can't guarantee that it will, but chances are it, it might. So when I heard that there, there was a, some talks going on about revamping and remaking uh, Back to the Future, you know, normally when I hear that about movies, I'm like, you know, I'm curious to see what it is. This is the only movie that I would not want to see remade. You know, I, I'm not even I'm not even remotely interested in seeing it remade primarily because it is so good on its own. But Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale have said that while they're still alive, they will not sign any kind of contract to remake Back to the Future, which is fantastic. That is great news. When I when I heard when I read that, I was so happy. And I'm just I'm just very glad that it's 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 gonna be like that. But yeah, if you haven't watched it yet, definitely watch it. It is such a good movie. It is fantastic, guys. And with all that said, thank you so much for listening again. I re- greatly appreciate it. We are gonna try and get back to this on a on a at least a weekly basis, or maybe like a bi-weekly basis, um, maybe once every other week. But hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Thank you so much again for sticking around. I greatly appreciate it. We all here greatly appreciate you listening. And with that said, guys, I will leave you with a quote from Back to the Future. Your future hasn't been written yet. No one's has. Your future's whatever you make it. So make it a good one. Have a good one, movie lovers.